Welcome to the Lanier Hills Church Sermon Podcast, where faith meets life. I'm Pastor Randall Popham, inviting you to explore wisdom from the Word with us. For more information, visit us online at lanierhills.com. Man, we're active today. That's good. Um, I just want to say before we get into it, like, worship was so incredible this morning. Like, the worship team, everything. Y'all can give them a hand, too, if y'all want, but like, just so awesome to see. Um, it's awesome to see the way that they just like worship the Lord and lead us into worship, not only just on stage, but in their life. Um, you know, I can't attest for everyone up there, but the guy who's playing the drums, his name's Dan, um, incredible guy. He's a youth pastor here. Um, but I moved down here a couple months ago. He and his family, they've opened up the, uh, the door for me to stay at their house for a little bit until I can get on my feet. And, um, I'm super grateful for all of that, um, I know what you're probably thinking. Oh, this kid's up on stage preaching here. He lives with Dan. He's got to be related to Dan somehow. But then others of y'all are like, nah, this kid's way too good looking to be related to Dan. (laughs) And uh, you'd be right. I'm not related to Dan. Um, But (laughs) I'm sorry, Dan. Please don't kick me out of your house. (laughs) But in all seriousness, um, I love God. I love the word. I know that a lot of y'all may not know me, but we can all agree on two things is that there's power in the blood and there's power in the word of God. And so today we're gonna to be diving into the word of God and examining the life of Jesus. Um, whenever Pastor Randall came up to me and he presented the opportunity to speak, I was like, that's awesome. He's like, so what are you gonna speak on? I was like, honestly, I, I don't know. Um, we presented a few ideas and something that was really interesting to me is because this is the New Year's Eve service, Um, I think a lot of people's minds are focused on the next year, on the upcoming year. I mean, 2023, some of y'all may have had a really good year, and then others of y'all may have had like a really like bad year, and just like, I cannot wait for 2024. There's no way it could be as bad as 2023. Um, But along with looking forward to this upcoming year, I think a lot of our minds are set on possibly New Year's resolutions. You know, and, and some of y'all may not participate in it. Some of you may participate in it. Um, you know, and I was looking at the top New Year's resolutions that people make, and, and one of them was weight loss. A lot of people look at the upcoming year, and they're like, man, I want to lose some weight. I want to I get healthy. Some people want to travel more. They want to get out. You know, COVID kind of limited travel, and so a lot of people want to get out, and they want to see the world. Um, some people want to save money. Anybody else in here? Yeah, I'd, I want to save some money. Um, And I think that there are a lot of these things that we look at that whenever we're looking to the next year, we make these goals for ourselves, but a lot of times we're unsuccessful in fulfilling them. Um, I was actually looking at this study by Ohio State's research department, and in an article that they published earlier this year, they found that uh, only 9% of Americans that make resolutions actually complete them. In fact, the research goes on to show that 23% of people quit their New Year's resolution by the end of the first week, and 43% of them quit it by the end of January. And so the funniest part about it is that we look into the New Year's resolution, we look into the new year, and we're like, man, new year, new me, I'm going to make all these different changes. But the things that we think are going to help us and better us, we don't stick to them, it falls apart. And so it made me question, what are our motives behind setting our New Year's resolution? And better yet, what if God made your New Year's resolution? Okay, and and this is kind of interesting because I was sitting down with uh, a friend on Friday, 
And um, we were talking and, you know, I was, I was just kind of examining. I was like, you know, looking at the way I'm living my life and, and possibly the way God would want me to be living or whatnot. Like there are some areas in my life where I feel like it would be drastically different, you know, because whenever I think, whenever we ask, you know, what if God made your resolution? I think the better way to ask it or to rephrase it is what would Jesus do if he were alive right now? Okay, we, we, a lot of times we look at ourselves and we look at the broken world, but if Jesus were to be living in your flesh right now, how different would your life look? Like, how would Jesus be living that life? And I looked at my friend on Friday, I was like, you know, if Jesus were to be living in my flesh right now, like, I don't know, like, I think my life would look drastically different. You know, and it's almost like that realization of, of man, like whenever we examine ourselves and we look at this, I think that there's a huge difference between the way that we as Christians are living and setting our goals versus what Jesus values and says is important. And so in order to kind of understand and, and look at, okay, if we're allowing God to make our decisions for this upcoming year, what are we going to find that God would have us value? Okay, it's not that weight loss is a bad thing. Going to the gym isn't a bad thing. You know, taking care of your temple, you know, saving money, being good stewards of your money. None of those things are bad things, but are those at the top of the priority list that God has for your life? And so as we're going through this, we're gonna be looking at, you know, the life that Jesus has lived and we're gonna examine what he did and what he valued in the flesh. And then we're gonna be able to apply it and look at, okay, these are some of the things that God would want us to value in our life and try and model our lives after Jesus. So whenever you look at Jesus's life, you'll see a lot of different things. A lot of y'all are probably like, yeah, I'll just go out and raise dead people and make blind people see, <laughs> you know, sarcastically, because you're thinking, well, Jesus did a lot of different things I'm not gonna do. And I agree but whenever we look at Jesus, there are, there are a lot of things that he did that we can pick up on. And the first thing that I think a lot of people will notice if you study the life of Jesus is that he served. Okay, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the King over everything, the one who created the world came not to be served, but to serve. In fact, I think one of the best examples of this is in John chapter 13, verses three through five. This, this chapter is setting up where Jesus knows that this is the last day of his life. These are the last hours of his life. And I don't know about you, but if I know it's my last hours of my life on earth, I'm probably gonna wanna do some things I've never done before dying. You know, I'm probably gonna look and be like, oh, like I wanna see family, I wanna see friends, or I wanna go to this specific place and travel, or, or you know, I wanna spend money on this thing. You know, I just, I wanna do something. But what Jesus does in his last hours in, in his time on earth, as soon as he realizes that it's his last hours, is he washes the disciples' feet. Okay, John 13, three through five, it says, Jesus knowing that the father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Okay, Jesus could have done anything in this moment whenever he realized that it was his last hour. And the first thing that he decides to do is wash the dirty, nasty feet of the disciples. In fact, Philippians chapter two talks about this in depth. It says, uh, starting in verse five, have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, 
who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." Okay, what this is saying right here is that even though Jesus is God in the flesh, even though he's worthy of all of our praise and he didn't have to go through anything for us, he lived the perfect life that we couldn't, he came on this earth not to be served, but to serve us. He came in the form of a servant and humbled himself and put others before himself in his time on earth. Point number two. Whenever we examine the life of Jesus, not only do we realize that he came to be a servant, but he forgave, which is kind of a touchy subject for a lot of people in here. I know that forgiveness can be a whole lot easier said than done, whether it's forgiveness towards somebody else or even towards yourself, okay? But whenever you look at Jesus's life, he, he constantly forgave. I know that um, one of the uh, sermons that Pastor Randall gave a, a few weeks ago was on John chapter eight and the woman caught in adultery and, and the Pharisees were trying to condemn her and tell Jesus to stone her. And, and he showed her grace and he said, rise and sin no more. Your sins are forgiven. You know, like just constantly, like you would see Jesus put in these positions and these people who had done terrible things, he would look at them and he would have grace and mercy and he would forgive them. Okay, but it even goes not only to the extent of his life, but even on his last hours on the cross in Luke 23, verse 34, and Jesus said to them, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. These people are, have beaten him to the point to where he's not even recognizable as a human. They've they placed the crown on him. They've mocked him. They've beaten him. They're, they're hanging up the very hands that shape the world and mocking him. If you're the son of God, save yourself. Doing absolutely everything, spitting on him. And in his last moment, he's saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Like that, that takes some strength. That's not easy, but his life was not only filled with being, being someone who was serving, but also with forgiveness. The third thing I think that we notice in Jesus's life is that he never hurried. Okay, I know this is a random one, but I think it's an important one. Even in John chapter 11, um, we see this story where, where um, Mary comes to uh, Jesus and is like, hey, my brother Lazarus, he's sick. Will you come with us and will you, will you heal him? I know that you're capable of doing that. And he goes, yeah, sure. And then he waits a couple more days before leaving. Or how about in, in the book of Luke, there's this story where um, Jesus is going to heal a daughter, a, a guy's daughter, who is basically at the, at the brink of death. And as he's walking, a girl touches the back of his garments and is healed. And he stops everything and turns around and talks to her. Like, like he was like never in a rush, okay? Like no matter what he was doing, no matter where he was going, like he was never hurried. And then point number four that I think is very noticeable in the life of Jesus is that he sought the Father in prayer. I think this is a very important one because no matter what situation he was facing, no matter what was going on, he prioritized prayer so much in his life. Okay, and... um. In Luke 6, 12 through 13, right before he makes an important decision of naming who his disciples are going to be, 
He prays the entire night. It says this in Luke 6, 12 through 13. It says, in these days, he went out to the mountain to pray and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them 12 whom he named apostles. Like this is saying right here that Jesus stayed up the entire night before making a very important decision in prayer to the father before he picked out his, his 12 disciples. All right, but not only did he do it for important decisions, he prayed as much as possible. You'll see all throughout scripture where he's going out to desolate places, going out to these different, these different areas to be alone and to pray with the Father. An example is in Luke 5, 16, it says, but he, with, but he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Like it's not just something that he would do whenever he needed something from God. He would just do it constantly. He just wanted to seek the Father's face in prayer. And even in Jesus's last hours, not only did he pray for forgiveness for the people who were hanging him on a cross, but the very moments before he was captured, in John chapter 18, he prays to the Father. Like his very last thing that he does before he is, he is captured and hung on a cross is he is sweating blood with how much he is fervently and urgently praying to, to God. Like at the point, the, the father who's allowing all these things to happen to him, he is praying that God's will will be done in that moment on his knees. And he's encouraging the disciples to do it as well. And so I think, I think the big question here is, okay, we see these in the life of Jesus. So what does this have to do with me? What does this have to do with New Year's resolutions? And how can we make these changes in our lives? Okay, so here's, here's the application. Okay, the, the first thing that we can do is we can live our life to serve God, okay? A lot, of, a lot of our culture is focused on self, okay? If you don't believe me, look at all the, the words in the dictionary that we have that describe self, self-conceited, self-pity, you know, like what, self-conscious, like anything and everything. We have described so many words to focus on ourselves because our natural tendency is to look at ourselves, to serve ourselves. But that's not how Jesus came to live, and that's not how we're supposed to model our lives either. In fact, it, it says very much so in 2 Corinthians 5.15 that the reason Jesus came to die, it says this, it says, and he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Jesus came and died for all so that we might no longer live for ourselves, but live for him. And I know you may be thinking, man, that's, that's kind of unfair. Like, like, what if I want to live my own life kind of thing? What if I want to do my own thing? But the thing is that Jesus isn't asking you to do something that he hasn't already done himself. You know, like he gave up so many different things in order to be a servant and to serve us. And we get so focused on what we want to do and, and, and doing our own thing. In fact, I don't know if any of you guys know this, but the first verse in the Satanic Bible doesn't say bow down and worship the devil or, or bow down and worship the enemy or do some blood ritual. It says, do what you want to do. It's not a thing about serving God versus serving the devil. It's more so serving God versus serving yourself. Who are you putting first? Second thing that we see in the life of Jesus Say, forgave, and so we should forgive others. I think a lot of times we look at what people have done to us, or maybe even things that we've done, and we see the consequences of it, 
And we just really sit there and we're like, man, I don't, I don't know if I can ever forgive myself for that. Or I don't know if I can forgive them for doing that. You know, like what they did was a lot. But I think the thing that we're forgetting in that moment is that the things that we've done to God and the sins that we've committed are far greater than what people have done to us. And that Jesus states very importantly in Matthew 6, 14 through 15, that if we don't forgive others, we won't be forgiven. It says this, it says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. I know what you may be saying. Alan, are you saying that if I don't forgive other people, then God won't forgive me? Absolutely not. God's saying that. And, um, <laughs> and um, I, I think one of the important things is that a lot of times we see like forgiveness or, or one of those things is like either we'll feel entitled to it and we'll look at our own righteousness and, and the efforts that we're putting in and, and we'll see other people who have done us completely wrong or done horrible things and awful things and, and we think that there's no way that they deserve forgiveness, especially if they aren't repentant. They just live that way. But what Jesus is saying right here is that just as they are undeserving of forgiveness, so are you. But if God found it in his heart to be able to forgive us and to love us after everything that we've done, we should be able to find it in our hearts to forgive others and to forgive ourselves. Because our standard of forgiveness should not be higher than the creator of the universe. Point number three of ways that we can apply Jesus's life to our New Year's resolution and goals for this year is to slow down and be attentive to God. I think something that's so interesting about this culture is our attention spans are like at an all-time low. Like we are so focused on the next thing, on the next thing. Like I'll find myself trying to pray and I'm so focused on everything else going on. It's just hard for me to stay like focused on God in the moment, you know? Like we're, we're literally trained to scroll on social media and then get quick gratification from that and then scroll to the next post once we're tired of that one and then we won't even be able to recall what the last five posts were that we just saw. Like they just basically want to keep you on the platforms as long as you can and to look at those things and to grab your attention and whenever all your attention is on all these other things and, and you want to do all these different things and so you're hurrying and you're rushing or you're late to your job and, and your life becomes so hurried it's hard to just sit and rest at the feet of Jesus. Like this culture is literally created to maximize our ability to perform and in production and to make us happiest, but yet we're, we're a culture who's the most anxious, we're the most depressed, we're the most suicidal. Like we're the ones who don't get it. We're, we're thinking that we're improving and we're progressing and at the same time we're so distracted we can't even set our eyes on the face of Jesus. You see, I think a really good example of this is in Luke chapter 10, verses um, 38 through 42. It's talking about the story of Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus. And it starts in verse 38. It says, now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up and said to him, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her, 
Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. What this is saying is not that what Martha was doing was wrong. She was around trying to make food and and serve the Lord, and she was doing all these different things. The problem was that Martha was so busy doing these things that she was distracted by them, and she wasn't able to sit at the feet of Jesus. That's why Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you're anxious about everything, but Mary has chosen the good portion. In John 15, Jesus even says that, you know, like, abide in me, for as, for as you abide in me, like apart from me, you cannot do anything. Like Jesus is saying himself that if we are not abiding in him, if we are not finding rest in him and sitting at his feet, then we can't do anything without him. Like we need him and need to be rooted in him in order to serve him. In fact, I, I think we're so focused on being hurried and we think that we're loving other people and serving other people and pleasing other people. Do you not realize that if you're hurried that you can't love others? 1 Corinthians 13, verse 3, it says love is patient. Not hurried, love is patient. If we aren't patient, if we aren't resting, then we aren't going to be able to love others properly. And point number four, And this is arguably one of the most important ones on the list because if you get this right, then you're going to get a lot of these other areas right. And it's to seek God's face in prayer. I know in my own life, a lot of times people always ask me, how's your heart, man? How's your walk with God going? And it's easy for me to look at them and be like, man, it's going great. Um, Until I was reading a book one day and it said that they, they don't ask the people specifically how is, how is your heart, but they ask them how their prayer life is. And the reason why is because a prayer life is a really good indicator of how good your walk with God is going. Because you can think that you're doing all these things, you can get busy in the church and, and do all the serving, but if you aren't praying to the Lord, there might be something going on spiritually where you aren't connected with him in the way that you should be. Okay, and, and maybe you're sitting here saying, man, my, my prayer life is really good. Like I have a good prayer life. You know, and, and then my question to you would be, if God answered every prayer that you've prayed this past week, how different would the world be? I mean, you might have more money in your bank account. You might end up in that relationship or figure out if that guy or girl likes you. Like, you know, but, but in a serious note, like, would the war in Israel be over? Would, would Pastor Randall and Pastor Dan be on their face before the Lord? just seeking him and drawing closer to him so that way they can lead us properly? You know, would, would world hunger be ended? You know, I'm not trying to condemn anybody in here, but what I'm saying is that we have access to bring our requests before God and we treat him as a genie and we pray about our own problems and we're so blinded by our own self that we aren't able to see what God really prioritizes and wants us to focus on. And you may be saying, well, I understand that Jesus prayed a lot, but he's the son of God. Like, of course his prayers were answered. Of course his prayers were heard. But the Bible has something a little bit different to say about why Jesus' prayers were heard. Hebrews 5, 7 says, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. And this is such a profound verse because what this is saying is that Jesus wasn't heard because he was the son of God. He wasn't heard because he lived the perfect life. 
He was heard because as he was crying out to the Lord in tears and in agony and all these different emotions that he's giving to the Lord, he had reverence for the Lord. He revered him. He praised him. He loved the Lord. And that's why he was heard in his prayers. See, there's this quote by this guy named Wayne Grudem. And uh, he says this about prayer. He says, if we, really, if we were really convinced that prayer changes the way God acts and that God does bring about remarkable changes in the world in response to prayer, as scripture repeatedly teaches that he does, then we would pray much more than we do. If we pray little, it is probably because we do not really believe that prayer accomplishes much at all. And so what I'm trying to get us to shift our focus on is, is prayer is not just something that you do before you pray over a meal or prayer isn't something that you just do right before you go to bed. Like this is, this is something where you can get to personally and intimately know the creator of the universe, bring your request before him, bring your pain before him. You can bring all these different things to him and things will shift. Things can happen. God, God will meet you where you're at. It says draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Like we have prayer in our pocket and we think that manifestation works better than prayer in this culture. You know, like we're, we're more focused on if we just will it and if we focus on it and if we, if we like speak it into existence enough, it'll happen. And we're placing more faith in, in manifesting it in our own selves instead of bringing our request before the creator of the universe. You see, in, in James 5.17, it's probably probably one of the most profound verses in the Bible, in my opinion, because I think it shatters a lot of what we think about prayer. And, and what it says right here, it says this, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. And the reason why I think this is so profound is because it starts with Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Like the, the people in the Old Testament, like Moses, Elijah, David, a man after God's own heart, Samson, all these different people, they aren't in the Bible. So we put them on a pedestal and think, man, they were really cool. I hope I can be like them one day or whatnot. They're in the Bible to show us the kind of relationship and walk that we can have with the Lord. They, they have a nature like ours. It's not like they, they have reached some unattainable relationship with God or some unattainable walk with the Lord. So whenever we look at Elijah and he prayed fervently that it might not rain for three years and six months, a man with a nature like ours, God answered that. Like, like everything is possible through prayer. Now, I'm not saying pray to win the lottery and you'll win it, right? Like God says in, in James, he says, um, Ask and you will receive, but if you ask and do not receive, it's because you asked wrongly to spend it on your own passions. Which again goes back to the self. If we're praying in the will of God and we're praying for the things of God to occur, they will occur. But if you're praying for selfish motives and for yourself and the things that you desire that aren't in alignment with the word of God, why would he answer that? Like our lives are, are here to serve God, not serve ourselves. And I, I know you may be saying this is a lot of information, you know, like, like looking at the life of Jesus, like I'm just not cut out for that. Like I'm not Jesus. I don't know who you think you're talking to. I don't know who you think I am. You know, and then you look at like Elijah and all those different things. Like these are big changes. I don't know if I can do this. Like that's a lot. That may not be for me. And, and it seems radical to you. But I think the thing that we need to examine about our walks with God is that the way that Jesus lived isn't supposed to be radical Christianity. It's just supposed to be Christianity. Okay, 1 John 2, 6 says this. 
says, whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Now, I'm not saying that you're going to be perfect. But what I am saying is that if we take the title of Christian upon ourselves and we want to follow Christ, our ultimate goal is to be more and more like Jesus every single day. But just as it says in John chapter 15, apart from Christ, we aren't capable of doing that. If we were capable of doing it on our own, we would have already done it. Back to the New Year's resolutions. If we were capable of doing these things under our own willpower and under our own strength, it would be a lot more successful than 42% of people failing within the first month. And so what I'm trying to get you guys to realize is that, you know, it's cool to attend church. It's cool to show up here. It's cool to serve. It's cool to talk about Jesus and do all these different things. But if our mouths are talking about the Lord and our lives are not living it out, and we aren't actively striving to become more and more like Jesus every single day and live for the Lord because of what he's done for us, then there might be something seriously wrong in our hearts that we need to get corrected. Because the reason why Jesus died for us, 2 Corinthians 5.15, is not so way we can serve ourselves, but so way we can, we can live and serve God. I, I mean, he's the one who created us. He's the one who put breath in our lungs. Like, I can't make my heart beat. God could literally drop me dead right here in this moment. And I have no control over it, you know? But we have so much like self-illusion that we're in control or that we can do these things. But the ultimate part of Christianity is just surrendering before the Lord and just understanding that it's all his. Everything is his to give and his to take away. And that includes our own lives. So I just wanna encourage you guys as, as you're examining your New Year's resolutions, like, like let's ask ourselves, God, like what areas in my life would you prioritize changes in? Like in what ways would you want me to shift my New Year's resolution or the goals that I have for this upcoming year to where you can be glorified through my life? Where my life isn't meaninglessly just lived for myself, but rather for you and to bring glory to you. And whenever we get to that place and wholeheartedly surrender to the Lord, it might not be anything that you're expecting. It might not be any of the four things that are listed on, on the list for New Year's resolution. But I do think that if we examine our lives, we can realize that there may be some areas in our life that God wants us to surrender to him or that he wants to change or that he wants to work on us. And we have to surrender that and give it to him, whatever it is. So if you don't mind, I'd, I'd love to lead us in prayer. And I just ask that as we're praying, can we please just ask the Lord to, to speak to our hearts and, and to our minds and just to really like, like reveal to us what it is that he wants to shift in our hearts or what he is that he wants us to prioritize in our lives that will glorify him and bring him the most glory because at the end of the day, that's what we were created for. So if you'll bow with me, dear God, we humbly come before you as the creator of all things, God. We apologize for living a life that may not be glorifying to you, Lord, or for getting so caught up in our, our own lives and our own selves that we just forget to bring praise and glory to, your, to you. I just pray that in this moment, God, whatever things are in my heart and whatever's in their heart, God, that you just reveal things to us that you wanna work on and, and help us set our goals this year for 2024, not just to, to do things for ourselves, but to do things for you, Lord. I just pray that you shift the desires of our hearts and give us the power and the strength to do what pleases you, God. 
Help us hate the things that you hate and love the things that you love, God. And and just help us completely surrender ourselves and our our lives and, and just everything that we do to you, God. Help us pray more. Help us forgive, God. Help us just embody and live as Jesus lived, God. And forgive us where we fall short. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.